Are you having uh, a happy new year so far? I realise uh, not got much to go on, um, but, but so far, is it, is it all right? It's uh, interesting, isn't it? Um, the new year is this, there's this kind of period of, of frenetic celebration, um, obligatory joy, um, much shouting of hootenanny and things like that. Um, we actually had to Google Hootenanny to find out what it was, and I can't even remember the answer. But it's, it's a fun thing to shout, uh, Hootenanny. I'm going to stop saying Hootenanny now. Um, but then the new year is also, I guess, after that little bit of, of frenetic, uh, obligatory joy, uh, a time when we tend to sit down and examine ourselves a little bit, and, and we tend to ask the question, how's it going? Uh, how, how is my life? Um, I don't know about you, but for most of the year, we're actually too busy living our lives to stop and think, well, am I going in the right direction? Is this, is this what I should be doing? How's it going? Um, and so the new year is often uh, a time when we sit down and, and do a bit of evaluation. Uh, and one of the questions that I think we should be asking if we're Christians is, how's it going between me and God? How is my relationship with God going? Do I feel close to him at the moment? How, how is the battle with sin going? How is it working out in my experience, this amazing gospel that I believe to be true? How is it working out? Am I seeing it coming true day by day, being shown to be true in the way that God keeps me? That's the sort of question that I'm asking myself. And it's the sort of question that drives us into scripture to find out well, what should it be like? What should the Christian life be like? Because obviously we can't uh, work out how well things are going unless we've got something to measure it against. And the Psalms are a great place to go because the Psalms are all about what real life is like as a believer. So the next few weeks we're going to be uh, looking at this a little collection of Psalms from Psalm 42 to 49. Uh, we'll miss out a couple um, which is a little collection uh, which is attributed uh, to the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah uh, were one of the temple choirs in Jerusalem, and that's pretty much all you need to know about them. So this is Israel's worship. Israel's worship. And uh, we're starting in, in Psalm 42 and 43. Um, they're actually one psalm. Uh, in a lot of manuscripts, they're even written as one psalm. And you can tell they're one psalm because they've got the same chorus. I hope you spotted that. So I'm going to just refer to them, them in the singular, he says, contradicting himself, from now, starting from now. It is one psalm. And uh, we're going to try to get, get to grips with this psalm. In answer, I guess, to the question, or, or to help us to think through the question, how do you feel about God right now? How do you feel about God I guess uh, quite often we get together and, and sing a lot of songs and uh, have a lot of readings uh, which are full of joy and confidence in God, which are full of, of happiness and light. And so we should. If the gospel doesn't communicate joy and confidence and light to us, frankly, we haven't understood it. But let's be honest, sometimes those psalms don't fit very well 
with how we're feeling on any given Sunday morning. Sometimes we come in here, sing songs of joy, but if we were asked to honestly say, how do you feel about God today? Those songs would not be the sorts of words that would come to our minds. Well, Psalm 42, uh, slash 43, gives us reality. It says, this is what it often feels like. This is what life as a believer can be like sometimes. And so as we look at it, uh, we're going to try to get to grips with, what do we do when it feels like this? How do we react when we don't feel joy and confidence and happiness? How do we deal with that as believers? And I'm, I'm, I want to look at it under, under three, three big headings. Uh, the psalmist's situation, the situation in which he finds himself. The psalmist's response to that situation. What does he do about it? And the psalmist's confidence in the face of that situation. That's where we're going. Uh, underneath each of those big headings, there's going to be some dubious alliteration, which um, may or may not prove to be useful, um, but we'll, we'll roll with it. So what is, firstly, the psalmist situation? What is going on in this psalm? How does the psalmist feel? Well, he he doesn't really tell us, actually, what his situation is. He doesn't um, lay out a narrative of, of what's happened to him or where he is in his life. But what he gives us is some powerful imagery which describes how it feels to be him at this stage. How does it feel? I just want to pick up on, on, on four really powerful images that kind of capture his situation and the way he feels. The first one is the drought. Uh, first two verses of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? For me, um, I think because of various Christian songs and other things, the temptation is to make this a really nice image of, of the deer kind of trotting through the forest, thinking, oh, I'm a bit thirsty. I wonder where the, where the stream is. Oh, there it is. And, uh, and going and, and getting a drink. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's nice. And, uh, and, 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 you know, that, that makes us feel quite comfortable. But it's not really what's going on in these verses. The point of these verses is there isn't a stream and there isn't a forest. There's just this dry and cracked and wasted land. And the deer, the deer who we're kind of following in the camera of our mind's eye, is not just putting his head up and going, oh, it's a stream over there. This deer is dying. Where is there water? If I don't get some soon, that'll be the end. That is what is going on here. It's the deer who's been... Uh, plodding over the sand, over the cracked earth, and it hasn't rained for months. Where am I going to find anything to refresh me? Where am I going to find anything to keep me going? And the psalmist says, to be honest, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. I look around for some sort of refreshing sign of God's presence. Something that will pick me up, that will give me the strength to carry on with God for just a little bit longer. But if I'm honest, when I look around, it's all just dry and dusty. There's nothing here. 
And it's, it's almost a despairing cry. When can I go and meet with God? When will this parched emptiness come to an end? And if we're honest, I guess a lot of us have felt like that. Looking around and seeing no sign of God's refreshing presence. It's a, a, a hard image, actually. But the psalm tells us this is what it is sometimes like to be a believer. There's the drought. Uh, there's, there's the distance. He says in verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Um, that's a little bit obscure, probably, to us, because our geography of Palestine is maybe not that good. But what he's saying is, he's saying, I'm a long way away from Jerusalem. Mount Hermon is, is up in the north of the land. It's about as far away as you can get while still being in Israel. Uh, when he's talking about the land of the Jordan, he's probably talking about Transjordan, the, the bit of Israelite territory on the other side of the river. And he's saying, I want to be in Jerusalem because that's where God's temple is. That's where God's presence is under the old covenant. And he says, I want to be there, but I'm not. I'm way up north in Mount Hermon. I'm on the wrong side of the river. I don't know whether he was actually physically unable to get to Jerusalem. Maybe he was. It could just be that in his mind, he felt very, very distant from God. He felt like there is a huge gap between me and my God. I can kind of see him way over there on the horizon. But he feels very distant from me. Don't feel the intimacy. Don't feel that I can just draw near to him. Again, I guess that is often how it feels for us. We know that God is close. We know that God is both everywhere, but also especially close to his people. We know that. But if we're honest, it doesn't always feel like it. And sometimes we look around the world and we think, God seems a long, long way away. Third image, the depths. Verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. So we've gone from, from drought and no water to actually cascading water, huge waves crashing over me, being completely overwhelmed by it being swept away by the deeps. Um, a thing that is, is fun to do, if you're very easily amused like me, is uh, to, to go down to the beach and to sort of sit just as the sea's coming in, you know, and you, you sit there, and uh, the wave comes in, and you get picked up and swept back a few feet, and it's, it's all very exciting. Um, <laughs> I lead a relatively dull life, and so that qualifies as, as very exciting. Um, but it, it kind of gives you a little, a little taste of actually what a wave can do. But this is more like the psalmist is standing there looking at the wave coming in and it's, it's a big one. And it just crashes into him and he's swept away by it. And it's not just one wave, but it's been continually buffeted by one thing after another. And it's chaotic and it's traumatic 
And that's how it feels to him in his life. And I guess that's how it often feels for us. Like it is just one thing after another in life. That life keeps throwing at one thing after another at us and we're swept here, there and everywhere and we can't keep our footing. It's not a great place to be. But the psalmist says that's sometimes how it feels to be a believer in this life. It feels like you're just being knocked about here and there and plunged into the depths and the depths for an Old Testament Israelite is a, is a horrible image. Think about Genesis 1. Think about before God's spirit begins to move and all you've got is this vast ocean of chaos and darkness and he's saying it's like that. It's like that. It's like, it's like God's influence has been removed from my life and there's just chaos sweeping me here and there. Maybe it feels like that for you now. Fourth image. I've called it the deadly wound because I wanted something that started with D. Verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Mortal agony in his bones. The only way he can describe the pain is to make it physical, to give it a physical image. He says... It's like my bones are in agony. And what's caused it? It's caused because people out there are saying to him, well, where is your God then? They're seeing the circumstances of his life. They're seeing that everything's not going swimmingly. And they're saying, well, where's this God that you trusted in then? Where's this God who you said was in control of everything? Where's this God who you claimed loves you? Where is he in all this? And he hears people outside saying those things and it is like mortal agony in him, in his spirit and his body. Do you know why it is so painful for him? It's because he doesn't have an answer. Where is your God, they say, and he doesn't have anything to say back. And actually, it's, it's worse than not having an answer. If he's honest, and if you read the rest of the psalm, that's exactly the question that he's asking himself. So when his foes out there taunt him and say, where is your God? It chimes with the deep question inside his heart. Where is he? Where is my God? Why isn't he here? Four images put together really do capture a situation of desperation. No refreshing from God. No sight of God even, except perhaps on the distant horizon. No protection by God from the waves that keep crashing in on us. And the taunts of a world that doesn't believe in God which we hear as actually just echoes of our own deep questions. Where is God in all of this? Now, I don't know um, 
<laughs> I feel I've somewhat undermined the happy new year feeling here, but that, I, I'm okay with that. Maybe that is actually how it is for you in the here and now. Maybe that's how it feels. Maybe one of those images or more chimes with you. Even if it doesn't, right now, be prepared. According to this psalm, this is a normal part of the believer's experience, normal part of the Christian life, to feel like this. It happens to us. We shouldn't be surprised when it comes. And if 2011, or, or 2011, I'm not quite clear in my own mind what we're calling it yet, if it turns out to be a year that feels like this, don't let that catch you off guard. Don't let it come at you as something that makes you surprised and shocked. Sometimes it is like this. That's the psalmist's situation. How does he respond? What is his response to that situation? Three things uh, I want to pick up. The first one is, he remembers God. 42 verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. The first thing he does is he deliberately calls to mind better times. He remembers when he felt that joy in God. He remembers when he felt intimate with God, when he could not only go up to the temple in Jerusalem with thanksgiving and celebration, but actually lead others and actually lead the worship He remembers that. Now, actually in the flow of the psalm, that doesn't immediately seem to help him very much. In fact, if anything, it seems to make it worse. He remembers that it used to be so great. He remembers that God used to feel so close. And doesn't that just make the present feelings of absence and dryness even harder to bear. The temptation, I think, when it feels like God is distant, or one of the temptations and the one that I feel very prone to, is to stay distant. Actually, this relationship with God is hard work. It's painful, you know? It's painful to want to be close to God and to remember that I used to feel so close to God but now to feel so empty and far away. Might it not be easier just to settle for a very shallow relationship with God or just to not really call these things to mind? Just to go through the motions. If you don't put your heart on the line then you don't get hurt. But he doesn't do that. He deliberately remembers God. He calls it, he calls God to mind. Comes up again, doesn't it, in verse 6. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Remembering, a um, massive theme in Scripture, comes up again and again. 
And what you notice about it and what you see in this psalm is that he doesn't just happen to remember. He doesn't just happen to recall God. He makes an effort. He says, I will remember you. Everything in the world is conspiring to drive uh, the remembrance of God out of my mind. But I am going to stop and deliberately recall what God has done. I'm going to remember. We need to do that, actually. We need to do it in all situations, but we especially need to do it when it feels like this. When God seems a long way away. We need to make ourselves remember make ourselves recall what God is like, what he's done, what it feels like to know him and to be with him. We need to push that stuff back into our minds and not let it slip away. Because circumstances will try to make us forget. I'm always struck by um, how often remembrance comes up. Uh, in scripture uh, the, the one that particularly gets me is uh, the last supper where Jesus says to his disciples do this in remembrance of me and I often think what would it have been like to be one of those uh, disciples and not like one of the big ones maybe the other Judas or you know one, one of, the, one of the, the obscure disciples I don't you know have too high aspirations but what would it have been like to be there and to have Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me. I wonder, wouldn't I have thought, well, I, I don't think I'm likely to forget you, Jesus. I, I think I probably will recall. But it turns out that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he says, no, no, you know what? You are going to need a particular occasion to regularly remember me. Because you will forget, actually. You will. And we need to take advantage of those occasions. We need to remember God. So he remembers God. And secondly, he relates to God. I mean, in a way, the whole psalm is that. Actually, one way you could react to God feeling absent is to just not think about it. Push it out of your mind. And writing a psalm is doing the opposite of that. He is saying... I'm going to bring this into the context of God. I'm going to bring it into the context of my relationship with God and my worship of him. I'm going to relate to God. You see it particularly clearly, say, 42 verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So he doesn't take his complaints and sit there and grumble to himself. He goes, directly to God and interestingly enough he grumbles to God he is so determined to keep that relationship with God going that he will take even his complaints and his unhappiness and his despair into God's presence and say Lord look all I've got here is emptiness why aren't you here Why have you forgotten me? What, what, a, what an accusation to bring against the God who, frankly, never forgets anything or anybody except mercifully our sins. But he goes to God and says, Why have you forgotten me? 
as if he's shouting at God and saying, wake up, do something. And the thing is, God is big enough to take that. He's not bothered by us being honest with him, by us telling him how it really feels, instead of pretending that everything is great. And so the psalmist goes to God and says, why have you forgotten me? He's determined to relate to God, even at that point where it feels like God is far, far away. He remembers God, he relates to God, and then in that context he reasons with himself. And it comes up three times in the refrain to the psalm. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And at this point, he turns from talking to God to talk to himself. And he addresses his soul. And he says, What are you getting so upset about? Why are you despairing? Why are you so full of anxiety and fear? Why are you so downcast? Trust in God. Trust in God, soul. Now, this is not just, as it could easily be, a a, a little personal pep talk. It's not just, come on, soul, pick yourself up, man up, get on with it, stop being such a wuss, soul. It's not that. It's not just kind of trying to cheer himself up. It's not trying to talk himself into a better place, trying to just keep talking to himself until somehow he comes to believe that everything will be okay. Because it's in the context of his prayers and in the context of his relationship with God. And in that context he can say, look, soul, you know this God, don't you? Don't you know what he's like? You know the truth about him. Now, the whole crisis in this psalm, I would suggest, has been sparked off by the fact that what the psalmist knows to be true about God, he doesn't see when he looks around him in the world. It's like there's a clash. I think we have a, we have a kind of a sense for the true and a sense for the real. And sometimes they just don't seem to quite marry up. So that you end up in a place where you say, I know that it is true that God loves me, but in real life... <laughs> I don't see it. And here, in this, in this refrain, in the chorus of the psalm, the psalmist is saying to his soul, take what you know to be true and trust that you will see it in real life. Maybe not immediately, but you will. If it is true about God that this is what he is like, then you can say to your soul, I will yet praise him. Why? Because he is my saviour and my God, even if it doesn't feel like it today. Even if today he feels absent, trust him. And one day you'll feel his presence again. So, it's not trying to talk himself into feeling better, but it is saying to himself, if this is who God really is, if this is what your God is really like, then one day you will feel better. Not because you've talked yourself into feeling better, but
but because he will draw near to you. See the difference? It's not pulling myself up by my own power of positive thinking, but it is saying to myself, wait for God to do it. Trust in him. It will happen. He remembers God, he relates to God, and he reasons with himself. And what he says to himself is, hope, wait, trust. It will happen. This emptiness will not last forever. That's his response. And it's the way we need to respond when those periods of feeling God's God's absence come upon us. Remember who he is and what he has done. Bring your complaints to him. Relate to him. And tell yourself what God has promised you. Tell yourself what God is like and what he will do for you again. That's the psalmist's response. As we uh, come into the, towards the, the end of the psalm, which is Psalm 43, um, we get his confidence coming through really clearly. The psalmist is confident, despite, um, when, we, when we had that, that wordle up there, I don't know if you saw, but there were, there were some pretty depressing words, quite large, um, up there forsaken, forgotten. They were all there. But, he is confident. We see first his hope in verses 1 and 2. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Well, you might think, that doesn't sound, to be honest, very hopeful. There's all this mourning and being oppressed by the enemy and being rejected in it. But the bottom line is, God is my stronghold. God is my stronghold, and I look to be vindicated by him. I expect to be vindicated by him. Not uh, to try to make it better, but to look to God for vindication. When those on the outside say to me, where is your God? Actually, the only answer I can give is, I believe he's coming. And he will vindicate me. My faith will be shown to be true and right. Because he is my stronghold. And the psalmist's hope is based on who God is, on God's character on what God has promised. And therefore, it's unshakable. God is still his stronghold, present tense, even when it feels like God has rejected him. He has hope. And because he has hope, he looks forward to a homecoming. Verse 3, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. In the midst of all the barrenness and dryness and distance from God, the psalmist looks forward to a day when God's light and truth, God's action, will bring him back 
and will overcome all of those things so that he will again be able to say, God is my delight. God is my joy. And where he will again be able to pick up the musical instruments and play songs of worship to God feeling like they are true. Not just going through the motions, but feeling that God is true. Experiencing his faithfulness. Knowing that he is there. That will happen, he says, when God sends out his light and truth. And it is a homecoming. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to Zion, where the temple was. To the place where you dwell, right into the house of God. To the altar of God. Right up to where God is, to worship in truth. He trusts that that will happen. He expects it. He remembers, remember it right, right near the beginning, he remembers leading people to worship at that very altar and he says, I will come to that altar again and I will sing songs of joy because God will send forth his truth and light. But notice, notice he doesn't try to manufacture that feeling. He doesn't try to manufacture some joy. I think there's a, a real temptation in us to just Try to, try to crank up a little bit of joy. Uh, to be honest, I feel pretty miserable today, but go to church, crank up some joy. Let's get some joy going. Whew, joy. And, and sometimes our, our songs even feel like that, and our, our services of worship can feel like that. As if, um, now, don't take this the wrong way, but I've, I've led a lot of services here, and sometimes I feel like I need to be a cheerleader and to kind of get you guys feeling a bit of joy. And um, it could be that you are actually feeling a lot of joy, but let's be honest, you're all sat there looking like... <laughs> and I need to resist the temptation to be a cheerleader because that's not what it's about. It's not about us manufacturing some excitement about God. It's about us saying to God, to God our stronghold, send out your truth and your light. Make it real to me. Make what I know to be true about you real in my experience. And if God is real, God lives, then he will answer that prayer in his time. And we will be able to say, God is my delight and my joy. But we have to count on him for that, not on our human efforts. So that's my three points. We can be confident as we remember God even in the midst of drought-like spiritual conditions. But now I want to tell you what I think the psalm is about. Uh, <laughs> hmm, yeah, time's getting on, but it's okay, I'll be brief. What is this psalm about? It's about a man who finds himself feeling distant from God, feeling that God has rejected him. And it's about a man who, in those circumstances, entrusts himself to God, believes that God will vindicate him, and believes that he will be restored to God's presence and to delight and joy. This psalm is about the Lord Jesus Christ 
who hung on a cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the absence of God. He felt rejected by God. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ who who hung on a cross and had people around him say, let God deliver him if God delights in him. He trusted in God. Let's see what God will do for him. Where is his God? This God, he said, loved him so much. Lord Jesus Christ knows that mortal agony. And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ who went into the depths with only his faith that God would vindicate him. And the joy of it is that it's about the Lord Jesus Christ who was raised. Paul says he was vindicated by the Spirit. He was raised up. He saw light again. He was restored to perfect fellowship with his Father. He knew God, his delight and joy. Can I say... Um, it's actually much more exciting that this psalm is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, on the whole, things involving Jesus are more exciting than things not. But it is much more thrilling when we get that. Look, it would be some comfort to you, I imagine, if I were to say to you, if you feel downcast, if you feel in those drought-like conditions, if you feel like the depths are sweeping over you again and again, well, other saints have been there before you. This psalmist, he was there before you. And if I said that to you, that would be of some comfort because you would be able to say, okay, my situation is not abnormal. My situation is not, you know, beyond the the bounds of normal believing experience. Other people have been there before. That's quite comforting. But listen, if I say to you, Jesus Christ has been there before you. And not only has he been there, but he came out the other side and proved that that hope for God's vindication wasn't just pie in the sky, but was real, because he was vindicated. And because he was vindicated, everybody who trusts in him will also be vindicated and will go with him through the depths and out into the light of God's presence. And I think that is a good thing. Amen? I don't know whether I have anything more to say except this. Listen, it may feel very dry right now. It may feel very dark right now. It may feel like you're being tossed about by the waves of life and circumstances and you cannot see an end to it and God seems very far away. It may feel like that now. If it doesn't feel like it now, it may feel like it next week or the week after. It may well do. But Jesus Christ is alive and reigning and has gone through this and conquered it. And he will bring you to the light as you trust in him. And he will take you home to a place where you can sing to God your delight and your joy. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest, it may not be in this life. It may be dry and dark until the point where you go to the grave. I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to encourage you. Because for Jesus Christ, it was dark until the point where he went to the grave. And then he saw the light. And then he was raised up.
Hope in God. You will praise him again. He is your God and your saviour in his son Jesus Christ.